you got your Bibles, go to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. I'll start at verse 10. Numbers 11, verse 10. First, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, help us focus on you, God. Open up the eyes of our understanding, God, to hear from you, God, to understand what it is you're trying to teach us, God. Help us to learn it. To use it, Father God, and let it become a part of our being. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Numbers chapter 11. All right. But before we get there, just to give you what it is, our goals and objectives, what we're trying to learn today, trying to understand. Let me start with a story. Check out a story. Story about myself. When I was about, I can't remember how old I was. Couldn't have been no more than eight years old. Getting ready to go back to school. End of the summer, August. And in this time, well, pretty much still now. I guess that's where it comes from. But I only got one pair of shoes a year. One pair of shoes a year. That was it. So I usually save mine for when school starts. You either get it at the beginning of the school or you get it for Christmas. That's it. <laughs> make them last, make them good. But this year, some shoes I really wanted came out and I was able to get them. Y'all might not know them. Some BKs, British Knights. <laughs> I know you too young. The British Knights came out fresh, brand new. Yeah. And this year when they had, they had a package deal with the BKs. MC Hammer just rose to the top. And if you bought the BKs, you got a tape with one song from Hammer. <laughs> so my mama got me them shoes. I was so excited, man. It's like, the happiest day of my life at this moment. But you couldn't touch them until school started. So it came to that Sunday night right before school started. I'm excited, man. Got home, got a chance to lace them up, clean them up, get everything ready, set it out. And I tell you, I could not go to sleep because I was so excited that I was going to get to wear my BKs the next day. So this is what I did. Now, just the whole package had me excited. Had the little recorder tape player like they have at the school. Had one of them little things. Put it under my pillow with the hammer tape in there. I laid down, listening to hammer, thinking about wearing my shoes and how fresh I was going to be the next morning. I'm talking about super excited. The whole night, that tape would go off. I wake up, rewind that thing, <laughs> and play it again. I did this the entire night until I finally fell off to sleep, waiting to wear my shoes. And when I was preparing the message, I thought about that moment. Like, why in the world was I so excited <laughs> about those big old shoes? 
I was ex- super excited. But then it's, uh, the thing that got me, one, this was something that I longed for. It was something that I desire, that I desire and that all the people around me thought that they were fresh. So I got the wanted thing. Not only did everybody else like them, I actually wanted them and desired them. And it built an anticipation in me that drove me crazy. Had me listening to Hammer all night long. And when I got them things, first got them, when mama let me get them, had a little slip in there. You know, I read the box, read the little paper in there, read the box, read the little paper, the little insert that the hammer tape was in, uh, reading that. I'm learning all about these shoes. And I'm going and using my mind and my energy. I'm engrossed with these pair of shoes because I love them and learn for them, long for them so much. Like I said, I was preparing and thinking about what we're talking about, the spirit as being the promise of God. That anticipation, that level of hypeness, that level of let me read them five little sentences that was on that little card about them shoes over and over and over again should be the same level of drive, the same level of hope, the same level of excitement that we should get when we understand that God made us a promise and he gave us a promise and that promise is himself. We should seek to understand as much about that promise as we can. We should long to see the fullness and the expectation of all that this promise entails with the same level of excitement that had me could not sleep. Listening to MC Hammer for hours, one tape, one single. All you get was the song, the instrumental. You flip it over and play it again. One song, one instrumental. You flip it over and play it again. I couldn't even get masked back. I had to sit there, stop it again, and play it again. <laughs> this is the level of excitement that a pair of shoes produced in a little kid. That's amazing. So how much excitement should a great God, a potent king, produce in his kids? This is the thing that we were promised. This is the thing that Israel longed for all their existence. Numbers chapter 11. Watch this. Moses, one of the greatest human beings we know of to walk the planet. He got to this point in his ministry, in his time of service and working for the Lord, where things got a little crazy. We would say they were crazy the whole time. But in Numbers chapter 11, the people are doing what they did best. They're complaining. They're crying. They're mad at Moses. They're mad at God. Then they got this mixed multitude in the middle of them. There was some people who joined themselves to Israel. Some of them probably was Egyptians and Midianites and so on and so forth. They joined the band. And they telling these Israelites, man, y'all walking around this desert, we just eating this little bread over and over again. Ain't nobody had no meat, ain't no steak, ain't no chicken. So they complaining. So now they don't like manna, they don't like Moses, they don't like God. And Moses goes to God and, and, and he voices his heart. Watch it, verse 10 of chapter 11. So then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the doors of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. 
And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? That thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth the suckling child unto the land, which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee out of hand, if I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. Now this is Moses. Moses Moses was down. This don't sound like the Charlton Heston dude walking big and strong with the afro and the big beard. This don't sound like that man of power who can do anything, endure everything, that humble man that the people complain to him and he just say, Jesus bless him. Moses got to a breaking point. And in here we see his complaint. He ready to give up. Like, God, what what are you doing? I'm done with these people. They ain't my children. I ain't give birth to them. Why do I have to carry them? Why do I have to carry this burden and deal with these people and you telling me to take them to the land that you promised they fought? And just a side point to point out in that, do you see how Moses came to God? He expressed all of his heart to God unabashedly, unashamedly. Did it sound like a pretty church prayer? No. Does it sound like what we read in Exodus 33 when he was praying for the glory of the Lord to come and to show him his face? No. He was being real. And he had confidence enough in God to be able to say to God how he feels. He even went to the point of saying, God, kill me. If you really like me, take me out, God. (laughs) I can't endure this no more. That's Moses opening up his heart to God. So if Moses can do it, we should be able to do it. Because Moses, we think, was stronger than us. Moses, we think, was greater than us. So if he's great, and we regular people, if Moses can make them type of prayers, we can make them type of prayers too. You can go to God and say, God, I ain't feeling it right now. Things ain't quite working. What in the world are you doing? (laughs) You got to be ready for the response, though. (laughs) But you can do that. Now, this is how God responds in verse 16. It said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people, and the officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take up the spirit which is upon thee, and I will pull it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say thou unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and you shall eat flesh, for you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you flesh, and you shall eat it. You shall not eat one day, nor two days, nor five days, neither ten days, nor twenty days, but even a whole month until it come out of your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you, because that you have despised the Lord which is among you. And have wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? Alright, so this is God's response. You notice what God did. Moses' complaint was the burden was too great for him. So God made him a promise. Like, gather the people, gather the 70, and the leaders above them. What he mean by the leaders above them is Moses had set officers earlier when Jethro gave him the idea of what to do. 
So he tell them to get the 70 plus the mother guys and bring them to me. And I'm going to take up the spirit that is upon you and put it on them. So God finna anoint these people with the spirit that Moses had. And Moses was filled with the spirit of God. So catch the picture now. Moses complained. I can't do this by myself. God said, okay, I'm going to get you some help. But the help that he got, he promised him. You bring them and I'm going to put the spirit that's on you on them. So these 70 plus the other leaders is about to be filled with the spirit that Moses had. Jump down to 24. Say, Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and set them round about the tabernacle. And the Lord came down in the cloud and spake unto him and took the spirit that was upon him and gave it unto the 70 elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of the men in the camp. The name of one was Eldad and the name of the other was Medad. And the spirit rested upon them and they were of them that were written, but went not out unto the tabernacle and they prophesied in the camp. So spirit comes down just like the day of Pentecost. Spirit come down, but this time come down in a cloud. And it said once the spirit hit the people, the 70, they begin to prophesy. So spirit comes, they start prophesying. There was two dudes who didn't show up for the meeting. What were they doing? We don't know. Moses had their name. They was on a roll. He registered them for the conference, but they didn't come. They were in the camp, but God is a faithful God. And the God is a God that keep his promise. So he still poured the spirit out on them two. And so them two was in the camp with the rest of the Israelite. And they began prophesying. And he said they prophesied and they did not cease. So they were just running, prophesying, speaking the words of God, declaring whatever God had put on them to declare. This is what happened when the spirit came on them. Spirit come, they begin to prophesy. All of them, even the two that weren't there. Now watch this. In 27, saying there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My Lord Moses, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envy is thou for my sake? Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. This is the prayer and the desire of Moses. So a young man see the people prophesying. He run to tell Moses. He, he, he want to tell on them. Moses, they prophesying. Joshua gets upset because as far as they knew, Moses was the man of God. The spirit of God was upon Moses. So Joshua was zealous for Moses. And he get mad. And he said, Moses, you make them stop prophesying. Well, check the response of Moses. He said, are you envious for my sake? Now, you get mad for me? Would to God. I said, the way the King James write this probably confused you. Would to God. He said, I desire to God that all the people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit upon all of them. This is the desire of Moses. So his desire was that everybody got the spirit of God and that everybody was a prophet. Y'all see that? This is what Moses wanted. Everybody to get the spirit 
everybody to be a prophet of God. Now, let's take my little side thought and my thinking. When we see Moses pray, what happened? Think about in the Exodus or before the Exodus. When Moses went to Pharaoh and there were lice everywhere and Pharaoh said, please make them stop. Please ask your God to make them stop. Moses went to God and asked God to make him stop. What happened? Anybody know? You know? You know? Huh? They stopped. Good guess. <laughs> they stopped. And every time Moses went to God, on the behalf of Pharaoh, Moses asked God something. It happened. The people complained. They ain't had nothing to eat. Moses went to God. What happened? Food started growing up out the ground. The people needed some water. Moses went to God. Water started coming out of rock. So when Moses desired, and he went and sought the Lord of something, the thing that Moses desired, the thing that Moses wanted, came to pass. And we don't see any desire of Moses fall short. And in here, in his frustration, the Spirit of God being poured out upon the elders, Moses make a declaration and he shares his heart. He said, I would, I desire that all of the people were prophets. That's from the youngest to the oldest. From the those who are close to those who are far. This is was the desire of Moses. That everybody had the Spirit of God. That everybody was a prophet of God. This is what he longed for. This is what he desired. And as we saw last week, this is what God promised. So what we're going to try to parse out, what we're going to try to discern is, one, just look a little bit. Just like me looking at that little thing about them shoes. We're going to look into how did the Spirit of God move and operate in the Old Testament to build us an example of what it is that we should expect the Spirit of God to do in our lives. Paul told us that the thing that would happen before, the stuff that was written down was for our example. But for the example of us whom the end of the ages have come upon. So the spirit of God was poured out before and God promised us the same spirit. So we should be able to look into the life of the people of God in the Old Testament and see how it moved, how it operated. And that should give us a glimpse of what we should expect and what we should desire in and of our own lives that the spirit of God do in us. And then we're going to turn to the promises themselves in the Old Testament. So we're going to look at the examples. Then we're going to look at the promises of how the Spirit is supposed to operate. So we're going to try to understand the Spirit of God in the Old Testament. And hopefully this will answer a very common question. What's the Spirit? What's the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? Did they get filled with the Spirit? That's a very common question a lot of people ask. We're going to look at all that. Starting with Genesis chapter 41. So we take some examples first. Genesis chapter 41, verse 38. We're going to run a couple of them quick, and we're going to zone in on a few. That's 41, 38. Start reading at verse 37. It said, and the thing was good. This is when Joseph went to Pharaoh and explained his dream and gave him the understanding of what to do. 
that the thing was good in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, Can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God hath shewed thee all this, there is no so discreet and wise as thou art. So this is Pharaoh looking for a man. But Pharaoh looked for a man in whom the Spirit of God is. And his understanding of the man in whom the Spirit of God is was that the man in whom the Spirit of God is, the Spirit of Elohim is inside of, would be a man of wisdom. Then he turned to Joseph and he said, since God has revealed this to you, you've got to be the man. But look how the Spirit of God worked in the life of, in the life of Joseph. It says that he was wise and he was discreet. That discreet means he, he had understanding on how to move and how to operate in a way with reason and precision. He was a wise man. And his wisdom demonstrated himself in the point that he can understand the times and know what to do. God gave him vision of what's to come. He understood it and knew what to do. This was because the spirit of God was upon Joseph. And if you track the life of Joseph, he operated this way everywhere he went. When he was a slave, he was a wise slave and that brought him to the ranks. He knew how to work and he excelled in his work because the spirit of God was upon him. When he was in the prison, as a prisoner, he ran the system. He was one of the chief prisoners. They trusted him because he was wise and he knew how to work. So now that he began to be elevated, his wisdom still operated to the point where he understood how to manage the resources of a whole entire kingdom. That's, that's, that's amazing. Yeah, you're getting the picture. He understood how to manage the resources of an entire kingdom. Why? Because the spirit of God was upon him. And it's the same spirit that God promised to put upon us. So if we claim to be people of the spirit of God, we should expect for ourselves that we should be wise people. That no problem come to us that we don't know the right way to deal with it. You're understanding what I'm saying. You should expect this because this is a part of the promise packaged. Are you with me? Go to X, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 34, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Huh? Yeah, Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Actually, go to Exodus. I'm going to look at that one first. Exodus 31. Exodus 31, verse 1. says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Baziel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, and in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to devise cunning works, to work in gold, and in silver, and in brass, and in the cutting of stones, to set them in carving of timber, to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, behold, I have given with him Ahaliab, the son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, and in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom, that they may make all that I have commanded thee. Now, see, this is another form of wisdom that he was given. So this guy, Baziel, he said the Spirit of God was upon him, 
and gave him wisdom and understanding so that he can be a tradesman. That's that's deep. (laughs) The Spirit of God came on him and gave him wisdom and understanding so that he can be a tradesman. He knew how to cut stones. He knew how to carve. He knew how to lay bricks. He knew how to sew. All everything that they needed somebody to do to build the tabernacle and to set up all the craftsmanship that needed to go into the work of building the tabernacle. It said the Spirit of God came upon him so he can do it. That's deep. This dude went to Holy Spirit trade school. <laughs> he went to JP Jesus. <laughs> Just think about that for a minute, because this this is not an area that we think about the Spirit of God operating in our lives. We got this secular, sacred divide. All of the world is God's world. All knowledge and understanding comes from the Lord. So this dude was able to do his job because he was filled with the Spirit. What was his job? To cut some stuff, to lay some stones, to mold some stuff, to sow and craft. Because he had the Holy Spirit. So when we enter into our workplace, when we enter into a task that we have been called to do, that we have the opportunity to do, that God placed us in there, gave us the job, we should be able to have confidence in ourselves that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do well because the Spirit of God is in me. So we can say, it's still alive from the Pentecostals, they might think it's blasphemy, that I am filled with the Spirit with the evidence of being able to do my job. (laughs) So us Holy Spirit-filled people should be some of the best workers in our field because the Spirit is able to give you wisdom and understanding of your craft. It's able to give you wisdom and understanding to better do your craft. That's what Baziel had. He had the spirit to be a tradesman. That's deep. Like I said, the spirit of God came on all these other dudes we read about. They got the prophesying. Spirit of God came on Moses. He split water. Spirit of God came upon Baziel and he made a a box. (laughs) But that's deep. And this is something that we need to keep in mind. So when we're in a position or we got something or we have an opportunity to step into a realm, We don't have to have confidence in ourselves because I'm great and I went to school for all these years. Even if that's not true, if God gives you the opportunity, God has the ability to give you the skills needed to pull the thing off. And you know what Baziel did? He worked. He built. He got tools. He did and perfected his craft. But the whole while he was molding, shaping, cutting stones, laying bricks, the Spirit of God was on him, giving him wisdom, giving him understanding, allowing him to see new techniques, new ways to lay a brick, new ways to cut it to make sure it's square, so on and so forth. He got this. And it says, and he put others with him, all in whom the heart of wisdom was in, to fill the working of the tabernacle. So God began to anoint dudes. To be tradesmen. That's deep. Y'all, 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 y'all get what I'm saying? 
So the spirit of God came upon Jacob and it got allowed him the chance to see a problem and understand how to deal with it. Spirit of God was upon Baziel and it allowed him to understand trade craftsmen and to be able to do his job. Go to Deuteronomy now, 34. Deuteronomy 34, verse 9. Says, And Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, and the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. So it's talking about Joshua. When Joshua was being set up as the new leader, said the spirit of the Lord, said he was full of the spirit of wisdom. So Joshua got his hands laid on him by Moses, and he got filled with the spirit. But here it refers to it as the spirit of wisdom. So he was full of the spirit of wisdom, but wisdom for what? To lead, for leadership. God filled him with the spirit that gave him the ability to command a whole nation of people and guide them and direct them into the place where God wanted them to go. Just because he was filled with the spirit. In the spirit of wisdom for leadership upon Joshua almost also made him a great warrior. If you read through the book of Joshua, take the time to see the way he led the people and navigated them through the land. Joshua was a war general. He had plans. He had tactics. He devised ways for them to attack the enemy and overcome and to defeat. But we see all this go back to him being the leader of the people, which goes back to Moses laying a hand upon him, which gave him the spirit of wisdom to be a leader. So if you got the spirit of God, it can empower you to lead. Y'all y'all with me? You can lead. You can do your job. And you can see a problem, understand a problem, and then know what to do with it just because you got the spirit of God living inside of you. Go to Judges chapter 3. Judges chapter 3. This is one of my favorite judges for some reason. I have no idea why. I think it's just because of his name. I like to say it. <laughs> Judges chapter 3, verse 9. It said, When the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel and went out to war. And the Lord delivered Cushan Rashafim, the king of Mesopotamia, into his hands. And his hands prevailed against Cushan Rashafim. <laughs> so this is Othniel. God had a problem. The people was in captivity. God needed somebody to get them out. So what did he do? He put the spirit upon Othniel. And since the spirit came upon Othniel, he was able to deliver them, able to defeat the enemy, able to lead the people out of bondage to their enemies and defeat the foe just because the spirit of God came upon him. That's pretty deep. But do you see a pattern starting to form now? Y'all ain't seen it yet. Still ain't seen. Go to Judges chapter 13. Judges 13 verse 24. Judges 13, 24, saying, The woman bare a son and called his name Samson, 
and the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. Now, this is a little different here. So this is the birth after the birth of Samson. Israel messed up again. God came to Manoah. Them people told him, you're going to have a son. Samson was that prophesied son. And it said, and the Spirit of God began to move him. Now, that word move could also mean to agitate him, to stir him up, to get him excited, to activate him. So the Spirit of God began to frustrate Samson to a degree. Think about that. Samson, a regular old dude, wanted a regular old life. And as he grew up, it said the Spirit of God began to frustrate him, to move him, to agitate him. And how that goes and how that operates is that they were in a condition where as the people of God, with all the promises of God, in the promised land of God, where they were under bondage to the Philistines. Philistines were running the camp. They were in the land, just like God told them. They were still a nation, just like God told them. But the Philistines had them paying taxes. The Philistines were controlling what they did, how they did it. And, Mo, and Samson grew up in this. He grew up in this nation under, under the hand of the Philistines. They still had freedom. They still had liberty. But the Philistines can just come down to wreck shop anytime they get felt like it. And growing up in this, it said the spirit begins to move him, to agitate him, to stir him up. And as you read through the story, there are times where things happen in Samson's life that produced the anger in him that made him go and beat up on some Philistines. That's deep. Now you put the picture because he was prophesied before his birth that you're going to deliver my people from the hand of the Philistines. This was Samson's destiny. Samson grew up under the hand of the Philistines. But how did God get him into his place of destiny? He said the spirit began to move him, begin to agitate him, begin to anger him, begin to frustrate him. And when you see it when you read the life of Samson. Samson was just an average dude living his average life, one can't too much about none but Samson. But there are times where God put him in a place, put him in a predicament where things were happening where Samson got mad. And he got mad at Philistines. So he went down and started whooping up on some Philistines. This was, the, this was the, the spirit of God upon him. And if you think about it, you can see it in your life. The spirit of God stirs us. The spirit of God awakens within us frustration, desires, activities. That'd be sometimes when you're looking at the TV or you're just walking down the street and just some just get on your nerve. And you'd be like, I can't stand to see people such and such and such and such. Or why folks always got to, that, that, that could be the spirit of God stirring within you. Pushing you, propelling you towards destiny. Because that's one of the ways that the Spirit of God moved. That's one of the ways that he operated. Samson won conscience of what it was he's supposed to be doing, so the Spirit had to wake him up. He had to slap him. And so when you see injustice, when you feel that stirring within you, when you feel that righteous indignation rising within you about the cause for another people, about support or help for somebody that's downtrodden, hurt, or broken, Understand that the Spirit of God is moving within you because it creates that stirring, it creates that longing, it creates that going, that, that, that propelling to see you do something that you're supposed to be doing. 
That's how the Spirit of God began to work in the life of Samson. And that's how the Spirit of God got Samson to the place of destiny, by messing his life up. By putting him in a position where he had to do something about them Philistines. He couldn't just sit back because them Philistines started messing up his stuff. He go down there like a Philistine woman. They take his wife and give it to another man. Now he mad. And he go kill all the Philistines he can kill. Burn down their fields. That's the way it worked. Because Samson was a horrible dude. <laughs> go to chapter 14, verse 6. Watch this. The Spirit of God still in the life of Samson. It says, in the Spirit of God, start at five, five, just to get context a little bit. So then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. So this is Samson on his journey, just doing what he do. It said a lion, a young lion, jump out at Samson. Just jump out at him. It says the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. So the spirit of the Lord came with him with some force, with some strength. And he was able to grab the lion and he said he rent him. So he tore the lion in pieces and he had nothing in his hand. That's deep. The spirit of God came on him. Lion jumps at him. He grabs lion and rip him to pieces, break bones, pull skin, destroy a lion, and it specified he had nothing in his hand. He ain't hit him with no stick. He ain't had no sword to cut him in pieces. He grabbed him with his hand and rent him in pieces. And he said he did this because the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Think about that for a second now. And we see examples of this in our world and in our culture. Y'all have seen the stories on the news or on the internet. Well, car slips out of gear and rolls over baby. And mama just rush in and lift up the car. <laughs> lift up the car just out of nowhere. And like, why in the world? <laughs> and if you get her at any other time, to try to push the car for you and run out of gas. You can't do nothing. <laughs> but in this time of desperation, in this time of exhaustion of all resources, she can rush in and do something that she otherwise were not able to do. Because whew, force, they call it adrenaline. <laughs> but the Bible told us the Spirit of God came upon Samson in this way. That gave him a might. That gave him a power and a strength that he was able to do something he was not able to do any time before then. Y'all starting to see the pattern? Not quite yet. Spirit of God came upon Joseph, gave him wisdom to see a vision and understand how to deal with the problem. Spirit of God came upon Baziel and sent him to Holy Ghost Trade School so that he can do his job. Spirit of God came upon Joshua that made him a great leader and a warrior. It came upon Othniel that made him a deliverer of the people. It came upon Samson to stir him up and to push him into destiny and to give him strength and the power to do something nobody else could do. This is the Spirit of God. 
And God is not a respecter of persons. So if the Spirit of God is able to give physical strength, he can do it. If you need physical strength to do what God called you to do, he can give it to you. If you need wisdom to do what God called you to do, he can give it to you. If you call to be a leader, he can make you a leader. If you call to work with your hands and to build and to craft, he can make you good at that. Whatever you call to do, the Spirit of God has the ability to provide to make it come to pass. Now, we can't talk about Samson without touching on the end. We ain't going to stay too long on this. But go to chapter 16, verse 20. Judges, yeah. Judges 16, 20. Judges 16, 20 is the end, towards the end of Samson. So we just got to touch on this. There's him sleeping with Delilah, and she done broke him. It says, and she said, talking about Delilah, the Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. Samson did not do what God called him. Well, Samson was not what God called him to do. But he did what God called him to do. That's a scary lesson. Everything that God prophesied that Samson was going to do before he was born, Samson actually did it. But nothing God desired that Samson would be in his life, Samson was never it. Samson was a man driven by his lust, and Samson was a man that only cared for Samson. That's all he lived for. But he did and fulfilled destiny. Always a sobering thought for me. That he was able to accomplish everything that God said he was going to accomplish. It said in his death he killed more Philistines in his death than he did his entire life. It took him committing suicide to fulfill destiny. But nothing that he was supposed to be was he. And this is a time where we see that Samson was a carnal man. Samson was a man not conscious of the spirit of God. Actually, if you read through his story, Samson only prayed twice. One time when he was thirsty and he thought he was going to die and he was mad at God. And last time when he was about to die and he gave up and said, God, give me strength one more time. This is the only time we see Samson praying. This is the only time we see him and acknowledge the spirit of God in his life. But this time, strength has been taken. The spirit has departed. It says Samson jumped up and shook himself as he did aforetime. If you read back in the story, every time the Philistine came, the spirit of God had come upon him. He just do a quick little move. He get power. He get strength. And was able to do whatever it was he was trying to do to deliver himself from the Philistines. This time he tried it again. But it didn't work. And the sobering thing for me is, is something I have to pray about to God then. Let me not get into a pattern of living, not conscious of whether or not the spirit is moving. Well, what I mean by that is we have this great tendency to connect the spirit of God with times, to connect the spirit of God with things and box it in there. It's just like you can be in a service where you sing a particular song and the Spirit of God rush in. And you just and it just floods your life. You're crying, you're in tears. You're, oh, Lord, you're feeling all so refreshed. You got joy, you're happy, you get peace. And then you box the Spirit of God into that moment. So you think that in order for the Spirit of God to move, 
We got to turn the lights down low, play the music at this tempo, and make these type motions. And that means the atmosphere is set for the spirit. No, the spirit is a person. The spirit is a person. And it's a danger for us to connect the spirit with outward manifestations of the spirit, thinking that just because we see that, we see the spirit of God. God moves, he moves and operates according to his will. He moves and operates because he a free person that's able to do what he do. He moves sovereign. And what we cannot allow church to become is a shell or a representation of what spirit-filled life is supposed to be, thinking that as long as I'm checking all the proper dots, as long as I'm making all the right motions, I'm doing and I'm living in the spirit. No, the spirit is a person. And that's what Samson had. He had a tradition, not a relationship with the spirit that empowered him. He knew when the spirit came upon me, this is how I moved. This is what I did. So when he got in the time where he needed the spirit to move, he did what he normally did, but the spirit won now. But he was still making the same motions. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Just like we got things people call the Holy Ghost dance. What is a Holy Ghost dance? And when you see people, do I believe that the spirit of God rushed in upon people and made their feet move like that? I really do believe that. I really believe some people were overpowered and they got the shout. But then there's a whole bunch of other people who connected the move of God with the spirit of God and now they boxed in. And they think, just because I'm moving my feet like this, I'm dancing in the spirit. No, you ain't. You're dancing as a copycat. You're dancing in the spirit of Samson, the one that's shaped, but the spirit of God is long gone from now. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And every time I think about that, I think about this little story. I don't remember why I heard that. Talking about a man in a crowd at a party. So you see the man in the in the back corner of the room, and the music's playing. It's blaring. He's getting down, doing his little thing. Everybody checking him out, and they're amazed by this guy. The rhythm he got, the movements he got. And people begin to watch him. And he doing his thing. He getting down. But then the song flips. But he keep with the same movement. And now he way off beat. And he looks super goofy and super corny. Like, but what happened? And what happened is, the dude who was dancing was deaf. He couldn't hear the music. But he could see the people. And he sat there long enough to copy the movements and the rhythm of the people. So he knew what the beat was because you knew what the beat was. But once you stop dancing and watching him and the beat changes, he don't know where that. Because he's not conscious of the rhythm that produces the beat. And let us not be that people. Who all we have is tradition. Who all we have is the copying of what somebody did before us and connect that and bind that with the Spirit of God. I don't know the other time about the Methodists. Say so way back, I think it was like in New York somewhere, this big Methodist church, Methodist movement, and the little town that they were in had dances. 
And the town dances was only for the elite of the town. So you had to dress up in your fancy clothes and you go and you open up this town dance. But the people at the church started to notice a problem. That the lowly people in their congregation, the poor, could not go to the dances because they ain't had nothing to put on. They could not dress in the style, or dress in the formal wear, the appropriate wear, to be a part of the, the social gathering. So what the ministers did was they forbade their people for going. So us Methodists, we don't do dances. They just made the rule. But they did it out of compassion for the poor. Like, we don't do the dances. But people grew up in that tradition where the dances and the movement was shunned. And the tradition that was developed out of compassion became law of a holiness. It became the holy code to the point where you get now to our age, well, Methodists, we don't dance. That ain't what them people said. We don't do the dances because all our people can't participate and we have compassion on the lowly. But people copied a tradition and was not connected to the spirit inside of that produced the tradition. So now they got a shell with no meaning. And now they got a legalistic code with no purpose. Let us not be that people who just shake because the other times we shook and this is what happened. But let us be sensitive to the spirit of God and move according to the spirit of God. Understanding that the spirit of God is real. The spirit of God is active and the spirit of God is a person. Y'all, y'all with me? Let me get back to where I was supposed to be going. First Samuel. Now I got to hurry up. First Samuel chapter 10. First Samuel chapter 10 verse. Thanks, six. I won't. Yeah, First Samuel chapter ten, verse six. Is this Saul getting anointed to be king? It says, "And the spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are come unto thee, that thou do as occasion serve thee, for God is with thee." This is Saul. I mean, this Samuel talking to Saul. Said the spirit of God will come upon you, and thou shalt prop and it said will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shalt be turned into another man. That's deep. Spirit of God coming upon Saul. It said you're going to prophesy, and you're going to be turned into another man. So you're going to change. And if you read down towards the end, Saul was walking. Spirit of God hit him. He begins to prophesy, and it said he was given another heart. That's deep. So Saul was anointed or filled with the spirit. The spirit came on him, however you want to say it. And he prophesied and he was given another heart. And it was his initiation as being king of the people of Israel. So the spirit of God can change your heart. The spirit of God can allow you to prophesy. The spirit of God can give you wisdom to lead. The spirit of God can give you wisdom to fix and remedy hard times and situations. The spirit of God can help you do your job. The spirit of God can give you might and strength to pull off tasks that you otherwise otherwise will not be able to do. These are all things that we see examples of the spirit of God doing. David, at the end of his life, said the spirit came upon him and he spoke by the spirit, that he wrote by the spirit. So the spirit of God produced song in him. That's how we get all them books. 
of the Psalms because the spirit of God moved upon David. If you read in Ezekiel, it said the spirit of God came upon me and spake to me and showed him a vision. So the spirit of God come upon Ezekiel, gave him a vision and it gave, allowed him to commune with God. Uh, You're seeing the patterns of the spirit of God. So the spirit of God does all these things. Now, this one is this this something you do in your meditation and homework time that I told you to do a couple weeks ago. When we first started talking about the spirit of God, when we said something about them seven spirits of God and all that foolish. I thought I forgot about that. And those of y'all talk that to the back of your brain because it don't make no sense. But if you pay attention to the way that the spirit of God moved upon these people, and the expressions of the seven spirits of God as outlined in Isaiah, you see that one of those things is manifested in all of these workings. The spirit of wisdom, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of might, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. All of those things are manifested through the outworkings or the manifestations of the spirit of God in these people. So when we're talking about the seven spirits of God, that's the fullness of God's spirit and the way he expresses himself through his people. Every gift of the spirit of God can be placed within one of those categories. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? And every manifestation of the spirit of God is a manifestation of one of those categories. And we see within these people's lives different operations of those same things. But one thing you notice is that it's specified. Spirit of the Lord came upon Bezalel, gave him wisdom and understanding. Came upon Joseph, gave him wisdom and understanding. Came upon Samson, gave him might. Came upon Othniel, gave him power to pull off his task. So we see these small examples. So now we're starting to see a pattern. Y'all probably didn't pick it up. That the thing that the Spirit of God was doing, two patterns we pick up to help us understand the promise of the transition. It came upon people for specific tasks, and it came upon certain people to be over or to lead those tasks. But what was Moses' desire? He would that all people. Joseph rose to the ranks. Spirit of God was upon him as the leader, the deliverer. He said, God sent me beforehand to save Lot for my family. So God specified Joseph to be the deliverer, the salvation of his family. So the spirit of God was upon him to put him in position to be that. Joshua rose through the ranks. He he was Moses' right-hand man, and he was designated as the leader of the people. So the spirit of God came upon him. When Moses laid hands on the elders, the spirit of God came upon them because they were the leaders of the people. Saul, David, the prophets, prophets, kings, leaders, these are people who the spirit of God came upon. Even Baziel in his Holy Ghost trade school. It said he set him over others who had the spirit. So he was the chief tradesman. He was the contractor building the temple. I mean, building the tabernacle. And so he was filled with the spirit of God. But Moses' desire was that everybody get it. So let's look at some of the promises and and parse out a little bit more of the different ways these spirits work. Now, these spirit work. Go to Isaiah 44. We're going to run these quick. And bring it all the way home. Isaiah. Because the spirit is the promised spirit of God. Isaiah 44 verse 1. Say, yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. 
Thus said the Lord that made thee and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and floods upon the dry ground, and I will pour my spirit upon thy seed, and my blessing upon thy offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as wallows by the watercourse. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob, and another shall subscribe with his hand unto the Lord, and surname himself of Israel. So this is God's promise of the Spirit. But check it out now. When he makes this declaration, it's coming off the back of him be basically berating the people, beating them down for not worshiping him, not doing all the stuff that he told them to do, following false gods and false idols. But then he returns and he said, yet fear not, O Jacob. I'm going to punish you. Things going to get bad, but don't be afraid. It says, for I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground, and I will pour out my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thy offspring. But check the, the, the transition. I'm going to send y'all off. I'm going to whoop you. I'm going to punish you. Things going to be bad. But don't be afraid because I'm going to pour my spirit upon you. He said, I'm going to pour water upon him that is thirsty. So the picture you get is there in this time of desperation. There in this time where the resources are limited. Where Everything in them said there is no hope. We have no reason to go on. God has punished us. God has turned his back on us. But he said, don't fear, because those who are thirsty, I'm going to pour water upon them. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon your seed, and they shall ascribe them th themselves by the name of God. So the spirit of God is going to bring satisfaction. It's going to bring them to a place of contentment. Isaiah 32, talking about the dry land and the desert land flourishing and become a, a, a a wilderness and a forest. So it's going to come from dryness. It's going to come from deadness to the flourishing of life. And it says the people will ascribe themselves by the name of God. So this is a promise that the spirit is going to come. He's going to bring satisfaction. And the people who get this spirit, watch what they do now. Say they ascribe themselves. They proclaim the name of the Lord. They identify themselves as being the people of Jacob. That's deep. So when the spirit come upon this, when the promise comes, it's going to create within you a connection of identity with God and the people of God that you ain't going to be ashamed of. You ain't going to be ashamed to declare that I'm a part of this people. You ain't going to be acclaimed, ashamed to acclaim that I am of the Lord. That's what the spirit produces, the boldness and the connection in the identity of being a part of the people of God that you declare, you make it known. The spirit produced that. So it brings satisfaction. It quenches the thirst, the longings of the people, and it brings a boldness to declare. This is what we can expect from having the spirit of God. This is what we should long for as we look for the promise of the fathers, which we say we have already received, which is the spirit of God. So what if you can say, I'm shy? You might be shy. And I ain't talking about shy Derek. <laughs> you could be timid. You could be afraid. But you should expect that the Spirit of God has something that it can do that can overcome that. 
because the people who got the spirit will ascribe themselves, will publish themselves as being a part of the family of God, as being connected to God himself. That's what they're going to do. Go to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59, verse 21. Isaiah 59, verse 21. It says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, said the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, seed, said the Lord, from henceforth and forever. So this is the promise of the restoration. It's one coming off the hills of a very famous verse. When the enemy come in like a flood, the Lord shall raise up a standard against him. This part, all that standard, the spirit coming, raising up a standard. But I want to point out this little piece where it says that the spirit, you're going to take it and he's not going to proceed out of the mouth of your seed, your seed seeds forever. So we got the picture that the spirit is being poured out upon who? The children of Israel and the children of the children of Israel. And it's going to be theirs forever. So now we're starting to see a transition between the examples that we saw in the people and the promises that we're seeing for the future, which future we are. It moves from being kings, priests, leaders, prophets to being your children. And your children, children. And it's going to stay there for forever. And so it moves from being coming upon them for a task so now we see a hope of this spirit always being there. The spirit came upon Samson at times. The spirit moved Samson at times. The spirit shook him. The spirit came upon Othniel when it was time for him to lead the people out. So we see these pockets of the spirit of God moving. When Saul was among the prophets, the spirit came upon him and he prophesied. So we see the spirit moving upon them. We see the spirit working in them. We see the spirit speaking through them. Even the prophet said, the spirit came upon me and spake to me. The spirit came upon me and showed me a vision. But now he's saying, I'm going to take the spirit from you and I'm going to give it to your children and it's going to be theirs forever. So we see a hope of an abiding. Now go to Jeremiah, just walking these prophets through. Jeremiah chapter 31. I'm going to connect it with that one. Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. Because in Isaiah 59, he says he's going to make a, a covenant with them. And that covenant, that, that contract is going to be him pouring out his spirit upon the seed seed, taking the spirit and putting it upon them and then abiding upon them. Now in 31, 31, it says, Behold, the days come, said the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, said the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, said the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and I will write it in their hearts and will be their God. And they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, said the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Now, Isaiah 59 talked about a covenant he's making. And the covenant in Isaiah 59 was the pouring of the spirit upon the seed. And here Jeremiah begins to speak of a covenant. He using the same language that Isaiah was using, which gives us reason to believe that he's talking about the same thing. 
But instead of the covenant, I mean, instead of the spirit, Isaiah uses the word he's going to write his law upon your hearts. So he substitutes spirit for law. And it's going to be upon you forever. Now, how in the world can we make that connection with this being the spirit of God? Isaiah ain't saying nothing about no spirit. He usually opened with the same language that this is the covenant and he substitutes spirit for law. Now, if you read in Ephesians, we're going to dive into this a little bit probably next week. Paul, Ephesians chapter 5, 18, he says, be filled with the spirit of God. Don't be drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the spirit. Sing it to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts unto the Lord. That's Paul. But then when Paul writes unto the Colossians in chapter 3 of the book of Colossians, he says, let the word of God dwell in you richly, singing to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So he took the idea of the spirit being filled with the spirit and the word of God dwelling in you richly, producing the same thing. When he talks about wives submitting to the husband, husband loving your wives, in Ephesians, it follows after being filled with the spirit. When he talks about wives and husbands, in Colossians, it follows after having the word of God dwelling within you richly. He says the same things, but the opening is the only thing that changed. So in the eyes of Paul, the spirit of God dwelling in you and the word of God dwelling within you is one and the same thing. So when Jeremiah speaks of the law of God being in your hearts. He's speaking of the nature of God, the commands of God. The spirit of God is what's produced the laws of God because he is his word. So when Isaiah and Jeremiah are talking about the same thing, but watch what Jeremiah go a little deeply. He said in 34, he said, they tell, teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brothers saying, know the Lord, for they shall all know me. So ain't going to be no more teaching about know the Lord because all of them going to know me. How are they going to know you? Because I'm going to write my law in their hearts. So the spirit coming within us, produce within us a knowledge of God. And see the switch again. And it's from the least of them unto the greatest of them. So the spirit of God is for everybody. The least unto the greatest. And they shall all know me. Now, this thing get a little deep. Watch this. <laughs> Now you got Peter and you got Cabronica. Peter, the apostle, versus Cabronica. <laughs> now, Peter, the apostle, walked with Jesus. Peter, the apostle, saw Jesus transform. Peter, the apostle, had Jesus to wash his feet. Peter, the apostle, had the Holy Spirit to come down and chill with him on the roof and talk to him about Eve. This is Peter, the apostle. Peter, the apostle, heard the direct words of Jesus in the flesh and had the Holy Spirit come upon him to make him remember what Jesus said so he can teach the people. Peter, the apostle, made lame people walk. This is Peter, the apostle. His shadow made people stand up and be healed and whole and made well. This is Peter the Apostle. Cabronica went to AUM. <laughs> now, which one of the two should have a greater knowledge of who God is? Peter the Apostle 
Akabronica, the AUM graduate. Huh? Why? Because the thing that made Peter Peter was the spirit in Peter. And the thing that gives the knowledge of God, the understanding of God, is the spirit of God. That's what Paul tells us. No man knows the mind of the spirit, but the spirit that's within him. But we have the mind of Christ because the spirit revealed it unto us. So Cabronica can know just as much about Jesus as Peter knew, even though Peter walked with him. Because when Peter declared who Jesus was, what Jesus said, flesh and blood ain't revealed this unto you, but my father. So the revelation that Peter got of who Jesus was ain't come from him walking with him. It came from God revealing him to him. So when Jeremiah said, this is a part of the covenant, that they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, we need to put ourselves in that and understand that there ain't no big people in the kingdom of God. It's just people. And the only thing that makes some look great and some look less is the operations and the places that we have been putting in. But the Spirit of God is the same and works the same through all. So ain't nobody have availability to any deeper revelation than you got. Ain't nobody on this planet that can accomplish more or do anything more than you can. God is the spirit and that spirit dwells within us and that spirit gives us revelation and understanding of who God is. So that's why they say ain't going to be no more teaching every man know the Lord. You ain't got to be prodding them alone because up until that point, priests, prophets, kings, great leaders, those were the people who got filled with the spirit. The regular people had to go to them. But now things have changed and this is a part of the promise. So just like the Spirit of God can come upon Samson to deliver his people, the Spirit of God can come upon April to deliver her people. She don't have to be in a position of leadership like Samson was. All she have to be is available to the Spirit of God because God promised to pour out his Spirit to everybody. So if I'm a king, great. I can be a great king. If I'm a pauper at the bottom, great. I can be a great pauper. And I can have just as much wisdom and understanding and leadership as the king because the same God that gives him wisdom and understanding and leadership lives within me. Y'all understanding what I'm saying? This is the promise, and we need to open our hearts to this expectation, and let's try to get it out of our minds, and I know it's in me that I got to retrain myself. There ain't no special levels of anointing. Ain't no special levels of, of, of spirit. It's one spirit who manifests himself through all his people. Ain't nobody on this planet that can know God better than I can know God. Because the God that made them know him lives in me. So if it's available for me to get it, I should have expectation that I'm going to get it. I'm going to understand it. Me and God are going to live in a relationship that I desire. So we talk about the spirit of God coming upon Samson. It says spirit did what? It moved him. So if I get the shaking and the quaking in my spirit, the longing for something, the longing to see something, I can pursue God and expect it. I don't got to wait upon no special nothing. 
I can go to my father. I can talk to him about it. I can long to see it. I can hope for it and have expectation that it's going to be made manifest because as the spirit quakes me, as he shakes me, if he moves me, if he frustrates me to see something, he's in me and is available to me to do it. And I ain't got to be nobody special. Now you understand me? So the same revelation that preacher man get flying on his $10,000, $10,000,000 jet, staying in his $10,000 night hotels, you can get washing dishes. You can get the same revelation. Because you got this, oh no, you got a different spirit. <laughs> but the spirit of God is the one that gives us knowledge of God. Go to Ezekiel 36. We'll look at a couple more. Ezekiel 36. You've been around here for a minute. You're going to read this one quite often. We'll just jump down to verse 27 for time. Ezekiel 36, 27. It says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you shall keep my judgments and do them. And you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will also save you from all your uncleanness and I will call for the corn and I will increase it and lay no famine upon you. Oh, this is God making them a promise again. It says, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statues. So this is a promise. He said he's going to put his spirit in you and his spirit is going to cause you or make you or move you to walk in his statues. So the principles that God have set up for us to live in, the judgments the things that God deemed to be right. We're going to walk in them because his spirit is in us. This is a promise. This is what we should expect to see if we filled it with the spirit. So we can go back to that line from the apostolic Pentecostals. We say we fill with the spirit, with the evidence of following and doing everything God wants us to do. <laughs> because this is the promise that he made. So when I look up in my life and I declare that I'm filled with the spirit of God, God has saved me, God has set me free. I can also say that I'm going to walk and I'm going to obey God and I'm going to always do those things that are pleasing to God. Because the same thing that makes one true makes the other one true. And we should have this expectation. But once again, this is an area where we have to retrain ourselves. Because we've been taught that the spirit of God come upon us to hold us to get to heaven. And it just hold on to us tight. We seal with the spirit until the day of redemption. So we sit here and we wrestling with the spirit and we get loose. Sometimes we slip out his hand and we fall, but the spirit going to pick up back up and he's going to hold us. We still going to have that little dirt and that mud on us because we're in the world and we're going to slip out his arm every now and then he's going to fall and the spirit going to drag us into the kingdom. Bumps, bruises, and all. Our head going to be bust because we're going to keep sleeping out of the Spirit of God and the Spirit is going to do His best. And little bit by little bit, piece by piece, by the time we 90, we're going to live a halfway decent life and wait for glory. <laughs> That's the way they taught us. That it's guaranteed you're going to mess up. It's guaranteed you're going to disobey. It's guaranteed you're going to do wrong. It's guaranteed so on and so forth. 
but God gave us a promise. And we claim we have been filled with the spirit of promise. So let's believe the prophet more than the preacher. Now the prophet, we know, spake by the spirit of God because Jesus told us he did. The prophet, we know, understand who God was because Jesus told us they did. And Jesus told us they talked about him. And Jesus told us they spoke of the things concerning him. So we know they're telling the truth. Now the preacher, we don't know. Well, so when they say something different, let's pick to believe the Bible, the things that is inspired by the Spirit of God. Because this is a part of the promise. So a transformed life, me being cleansed from all my uncleanness, me walking in the statues of God is a part of the promise. And the same Spirit of God that can come mightily upon Samson and make him tear a lion in two is available to me. So if it can give Samson the power to tear a line in two, it can give me the power to turn my computer off so I don't watch porn. Which one a little bit hard? Which one take a little more strength? Imagine the button on the remote uh, tearing a line in two. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, thinking about that. that, that, that. That button seemed to be quite easy. But the deal is, is we don't expect the spirit to move upon us in that way. We expect ourselves to be filled with failure, to come up short, to struggle, to languish, to fall short, and to never be what God created us to be. So we have to trick ourselves into thinking that I ain't what I used to be, but what I ain't what I'm supposed to be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. And we hang our hat on that. But God made us a promise. So let's believe in the promise of God that I can be what he created me to be. I can do what he created me to do because the same spirit that let all the other folk did what they supposed to did lives in me. So I can do it too. Go to Joel. Chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2, verse 27. It says, And you shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, and that I am the Lord your God, and none else, and my people shall never be ashamed. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit, this is Joel prophesying that it's going to come a time that God is going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. All flesh is going to receive the spirit of God. And what he means by all flesh, he give you an example for it. It's all kinds of flesh. There is no exemption when it comes to the people of God on who can get it. Because all the other prophets, we just, they were specifying on your seed, talking about Israel, on your seed, talking about the nation. Now he's saying on everybody. Young, old, it don't matter. Rich, poor, it don't matter. So your handmaids, they're going to get the spirit of God. But what if my handmaid a Canaanite? It does not matter. The spirit of God is available to everybody. 
and it's going to do the same thing in them that it did in all the other people that I put it upon. We talked about Ezekiel seeing these great visions and seeing these dreams and prophesying and speaking by the Spirit of the Lord. What Joel will tell you going to happen to you when you receive the Spirit? So you're going to prophesy. The old man going to dream dreams and see visions. Everybody has access to the Spirit of God and it's going to do the same thing in them that it did in the people that I gave it to originally. There is no distinction. There is no separation. So if you see something in the Scripture, then the Spirit moves you to desire it. Believe that you can have it. Are y'all getting what I'm saying? Let's not limit ourselves to the fact that we get the spirit and that means we just get to go to heaven and we get to shout and feel good in church. We get the spirit, which means we get all of God, which means the fullness of the seven spirits of God, the wisdom, the understanding, the fear of the Lord, the might, the power, all that stuff resides within us. And the same thing that it did in the olden times, it can do through us. But we're a little bit better than Moses. We're a little bit better than, than Joshua and Baziel and Joseph and all those other people. Because they were limited in their access to the Spirit. He promised us a full outpouring. Are y'all understanding what I'm saying? They had pockets. They had representations. All those seven spirits were, 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 were broken up into them. They got pieces of it. For particular tasks at particular times to do particular things for particular people. But we have access to the fullness of the Spirit of God. For all times, for all tasks, to bless all people. But we have to believe that we have it. So if we want to see our world changed, we can make it happen. Why? Because the same spirit that used Paul and Barnabas and Silas and all them folks to turn Rome upside down lives in us. The same spirit that put John Wesley on a horse preaching 10, 20, 30 times a day lives in me. The same spirit that gave Moses the ability to be a leader of an obstinate, hardened people lives in me. So if Moses took a couple hundred thousand of hardened, obstinate, grown folks through a desert to a promised land, even though they were rebellious, hard-headed, didn't listen. I'm a parent, and I'm supposed to leave some chilling somewhere. And they hard-headed, obstinate, rebellious, and don't listen. Think the Spirit can help me? <laughs> you, you, you think it can, it can help me out? A little bit. They helped Moses out with some hard-headed, obstinate, rebellious, grown folks. These little children, I picked them up. Moses couldn't do it. <laughs> you my big old 14-year-old boy. Why you sit yourself down somewhere? I can pick him up still. <laughs> So the Spirit of God is available. It can help us. So what we need to do, our commission from this point on, how we take this and how we utilize it in our lives, is one, to meditate upon the promises of the Spirit of God and to begin to allow God to teach us and to train us, to, to, to have our mind renewed, to see ourselves aright in relation with the Spirit. And to take the spirit out of the box of the traditions that we have put them in and allow the fullness of the spirit to explode within us in our whole lives. 
to see how the spirit can help me day by day in all my mundane tasks and all my assignments and everything that I'm called to do, called to be and destined to do and destined to be to fulfill them with the greatness and with a joy and an expectation expectation of being what God created me to be because the spirit is fit for all those tasks because if the spirit can help Baziel cut stones and sew cloth it can help John Mark tighten wrenches and change oil (laughs) say why not and if the spirit refused to help John Mark tighten wrenches and change oil, spirit being a little disrespectful and it's showing a little partiality. But you can say, hey, Baziel was doing that for the people of God, the household of God, to worship God. That's why his tra- he went to Holy Ghost trade school. John Mark doing this for the popo. They don't work for God. <laughs> but John Mark is fixing cars for the Popo, the government, good city of Montgomery County. But John Mark is also fixing cars because he's called to be a father to provide for his children. Who gave him that calling? God. And if John Mark sucks at tightening wrenches and changing oil, the city of Montgomery going to suck the money out of his bank because <laughs> they ain't going to give him no job. So he need help to be good and to excel because him being good and him excelling is him being a father, being what God called and created him to be. So can John Mark expect that changing oils and tightening wrenches that he got the power of the Holy Spirit to do it? Yes. Because John Mark has the power of the Holy Spirit to feed his family. And so the same power that came upon Baziel to cut stones in, 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 the, in the thread cloth can be upon John Mark thread nuts. <laughs> Because he is a servant of God with the spirit of God, fulfilling the task of God, which is taking care of his family. That's deep. And that's the way we got to think. So when you're at work and they say, hey, can you such and such and such and such and such and such? You can say, yes, I can. You might have to learn how to do it. But if God puts you in a position where you can do it, know that God is with you to empower you so that you can do it. Because God works always, all times, in many ways through his people. So we can live right, we can be wise, and we can excel in whatever task that we have to do because we have access to the Spirit of God. And this is a part of the promise that he gave us. And all of this coalesce finds its culmination, its fulfillment in us, knowing God, seeking and serving him. Are y'all with me? This is the promise of the Father. So now you should be excited, just like that little kid that got the BKs in that tape. So when you get ready to go to work, now you should be excited. I'm going to see what the Holy Ghost going to do in this situation. Let's see how long help me. I've been struggling with this. 
Just like I was with that tape in the BKs. Let's see how the spirit gonna work. When you're thinking about them hard head children and how you gotta raise them and bring them up and you don't know what to do and ain't, ain't nobody helped you and you got no example of no real father and so on and so forth, whatever excuses we got, you can say, let's see how the Holy Spirit gonna work. Let's see what type of wisdom and understanding ideas might power the Holy Spirit gonna give me to train these children up. Be excited. And when you wake up in the morning, you can be excited. You say, I'm going to live right today. And I don't care who come my way. I don't care what type of foolishness they talking. I don't care how they treat me, what they think about me. I'm going to do exactly what God want me to do in every one of those situations. Because the spirit inside of me, he's going to call me to walk according to his statues. And I'm going to see what the spirit going to do. Are you with me? <laughs> Anybody got any questions? 